Hey everybody, welcome to another wonderful episode of Midwestern Fans. It's your boy Taylor Ballard, joined by my trusty co-host as always, Matt Hagler, Montana. Matt, what's going on, buddy? Oh, just living the Montana dream. That's excellent. I am so excited. Uh, our special guest this week is my good friend, Tone. What up, Tone? How's it going? What's up, fellas? It's Tone OZ. You know, enjoying the off season. Hell yeah. I I didn't realize that I tweeted it as much as I do now, um, but for a very long time, my most used hashtag is flourish with tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when you choose nice. that motto and that way of life, you only have one result, and that's flourishing. Because what the thinker thinks, the prover proves. So if you're already thinking on the front end, you're going to be flourishing with me, you're going to end up flourishing. That's, that's right. That's right. That's deep. I like it. I'm kind of upset that your number one hashtag wasn't Landry Gang Gang, but that's okay. It's, it, it, it used to be. It used to be Landry Gang Gang. Uh, number one hashtag right now is No Expectations Gang Gang. Hey, deviation, derivation. What word am I looking for there? Deviation. Derivative. Derivative. Thank you, sir. A derivative. A derivative of Landry Gang Gang. And I like that philosophy too. No expectations. Vero's been preaching that all year. And shout out to Vero. Rest in peace, Mike. Well, but yeah, no expectations. I, I like that. I actually think that you were the one that kind of inspired it for me, though, to be honest. Okay. Because I remember when you were first on Message with us, episode three, um, you had said something about what we were looking for in the season. Like, we just have to be okay with the results. Like, this is what we have. Whatever happens, be okay with it because don't let it disappoint you because we're still part of a building process. So I think I've kind of adopted that into my lifestyle. You know, like, pay attention to the process, be okay with the results, and your goals will be will come as you focus on the steps. And that's that's absolutely true. It's like the people like I know personally. I think my own blood, my own brother, is very upset that the Dolphins won a couple games and put themselves in the position that they're in because he was all in on the tanking. And it's like there's nothing we can control. Why why get so upset and invested in something we can't control? Enjoy the process. Enjoy the building of this. This isn't this isn't years past. This isn't a template that we just keep cutting out new pieces to this is this is a whole new a whole new world and we're growing with this together yeah that's astounding stuff just right off the bat we, yeah, so we truly guess, are you know, flourishing like my, with tone here that's right the tone is always coming deep i love it <laughs> <laughs> that knowledge, man. I'm just here for that knowledge. <laughs> a little goofy and a little knowledgeable. Keep it all in some fun. Love it. All right. So, with that in mind, uh, what do you like? What do you like with the no expectations? Like, if you were to start having expectations again for the season. Like what? What would your expectation for this one be? I can answer this. 
because I've been thinking about it a lot. Because whenever I say no expectations, people are like, dude, why? You can't live your life like that. So if I were to have expectations, especially directed towards the Miami Dolphins, they would be 100%. I want a fluent team. I want a team that is consistent. I don't care if they're consistently good. I don't care if they're consistently bad. I want them to be consistent. I'm tired of having too many poor play calls on situations that shouldn't have a poor play call. Like if we're doing a prevent defense on fourth and 18 or whatever, that's fine. But we always give it the first down. I want like a consistent team. That's what I want. Just consistency for one time in our life. Seems like we've been riding this big roller coaster the whole season or the whole Miami Dolphins fandom last 20 years. And it's never been a consistent team. So that would be my expectation. To, to piggyback off that, I, I think something similarly is I want to continue seeing a good coach team. My expectations would be because I, I really don't know how the offseason is going to play out and the rosters really dictate the expectations. But if we continue seeing a team that doesn't give up a lot of penalties and there's smart play calls by our coaching staff, like I'm still looking. My expectations is all in the growth. I, I, I want to see this team be a well-coached, well-behaved, well-disciplined team on the field. And then when the talent shows up, the talent shows up, and hopefully that puts us over whatever hump we're at at that point. Because if in a tanking year, you win five games. I mean, personally, it's starting to set the floor a little high. Yeah, definitely. Like, If, because if we do badly in this year, like worse than we did last year, that's just going to look really bad, you know? Like if we were like trying to lose and then we won five and then we're not trying to lose and if we won five or less, then that would go pretty much against everything, wouldn't it? Just to be a double advocate, the devil's advocate, I'd say that depending on how they treat this offseason, if they add a lot of veterans, winning less games next year might be acceptable in that it's still – it's going to be much different than last year because there's, there's going to be veterans. There's going to be a new found blood. There's going to be players that have a lot more expectations than the players on this roster last year. So it's still a learning curve for not just – roster but Flores and his staff as a whole yeah all right that makes sense so speaking of Flores let's kind of let's kind of look at what I've been teasing this entire time uh for the last few weeks so I've looked at this season and broken and kind of like went through seen what went what happened i watched a lot of the rosen games as i've mentioned before and so let's start off the very beginning like the preseason area like we had a mass player exodus right so we traded away stills tunsil and we eventually ended up also trading away uh minka fitzpatrick and drake and they had a lot of complaints with how things were running, it seemed. Well, maybe not, but at least with Minka and Drake, 
And so that was kind of a red flag for me. And then our first couple games we lost awfully. It was incredibly, like, we just got blown out of the water. Like, the Ravens were, beat us 59-10, to 10, and the Patriots beat us 43-0. But there was, like, a 25% of the roster that wasn't on our roster, like, in preseason. So that's always difficult. And then I start, kind of saw a little bit of flashes, because in that Patriots game, though, they weren't, like, piling up on us until the third quarter. Same thing with when we played the Cowboys. Like, we were super competitive until the third quarter. That was Rosen's first start, and we lost 31-6. to And then the Chargers, we were kind of competitive. We were even leading at the beginning of the game. And then everything kind of collapsed. Had the bye week. And then uh, the Redskins ended up beating us 17-16, and we had an awful two-point conversion, which I think was bad play calling. And that was um, – Rosen was just getting slaughtered. And then we threw in Fitz Magic. So, do you remember all that, Tone? Yeah, I remember that. I, for early on the season, especially now that you have the results, I mean, we got dominated by two teams that one that won a division, and the other one that played in the AFC Championship game. So, you know, it's and that's with the roster twisting and turning, and. Yeah, I get, I, they, that really bad play call, but it's a play call that a rookie coach would make. He saw it as a successful play when it was ran in New England. So I, I that's that two-point conversion, right, where they try to throw it to Drake? Yeah. I, I remember everybody hating that play call. I, I didn't hate that play call. I hated the results of it. Well, yeah, I remember, I remember those ups and downs and those very poor halves or the games that have gone away from them. And I, it's, those Josh it's Rosen not... games have been erased from my memory almost, though. <laughs> it's, yeah, not hard you. To, it's not hard to picture that the Dolphins were two to three plays away from finishing with seven wins. I mean, like you, you pointed out the two-point conversion. Um, that's that's a win if we, you know, succeed on the last play of the game. Um, Nick Needham's pass interference against the Jets. If that doesn't happen, the Dolphins beat the Jets game. You know, so that's that's two more wins. Um, how would you guys have felt if the Dolphins did win two more games with the same roster, finish seven and nine? Now the draft spots in the tens. You know, maybe nine if we're lucky. Um, obviously Washington would be in the same spots. They wouldn't have jumped us, but you know, the jets would be drafting higher than us, uh, things like that. Would you guys have felt, uh, differently in that situation? Personally, I would have used all our assets to move up in the draft in that case, because that shows that the, you can build a roster with patchwork and young guys are hungry. And then you just add a couple of the most talented players possible. Right there, I would have tried to trade up and try to get your quarterback. Offer all three of your first-round pick, first round picks. Even if they're all teams and one in the 20s, I think you, you can get into that first round. I mean, into that top five, maybe, in this hypothetical. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's a good assessment of it. Um, I would have been ecstatic. Um I know a lot of other people have been mad. And then I'm not sure if I would have, I would also trade up though. 
Um, I'm part of the things like more resources, more playmakers. They kind of depend on what free agency is going. Like maybe I'd give up one of those and then maybe like a third round or something. But I don't know if I'd give up all three first this year. Yeah, I feel you. I, I, I was I was just saying it more in the case of like in in the sense of like willing to use the ammunition because I'm I'm 100% behind you. I want to have all the ammunition. I'm not I, – I, part of me doesn't even want to trade up to secure Tua. I'd rather sit back with all this ammunition, and if we need to settle on a Isaiah Simmons, oh God, no! Like that's an awesome situation. Like, I, I, personally, I'd rather sit with all the ammunition. But in this hypothetical, where you fall all the way into the teens, and you can go up and get a Tua, and I'm I'm assuming, I say, if we won seven games, that's just that's showing that Preston Williams was healthy and you saw more production from Needham consistently and exit and get hurt, you would feel more confident going forward with this roster where you'd have to fill that quarterback position more than anything else. True. That's fair. And Taylor, I, I know you're itching to debate me on which more important running backs or edge players, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. I'll Let's get back to the season. So after the bye week or after the Redskins, we went into Buffalo and we had them on the ropes a little bit, and then they came back. And then we had – we were in – it was like 24-21, and they we tried to onside kick it, and they returned that for a touchdown to seal the game, which that's just a freak play. I'm not going to blame anyone. Like, that's, that's – Dolphins. Yeah. That's – I think I might have said that word for word. <laughs> <laughs> um. Next was the game that really, because I mean, I might have at this point been doing the hashtag fire Flores because I like to do that as a joke um, and get people riled up. You know, I troll 90% of the time on Twitter, but um, this is the one where I actually had like a red flag, like kind of moment for me it was the Steelers and the Dolphins on Monday Night Football. So to remind everybody, we were crushing them. Like they were, the fans had turned against their own team, and the fact that they were Mason Rudolph would trot on the field, and he'd be going to a chorus of boos from his fans, <laughs> from all the fans, and it was we were just dominating them. And I thought this was going to be our first win, and then we on a third and eight, or third and whatever, we did like the all-out blitz, the engage eight for the Madden players, and they smoked us and then the tide turned right there and we weren't able to recover and that's kind of like everything flipped there and it that's just kind of that's where I lost a little bit of confidence was like because who who calls that on a on a third and long you know what I mean but and then you couldn't get them to respond back was the thing like you couldn't be they you couldn't get the that was one play you know we were dominating them earlier. Let's get back into it. You had something to say, Tom? Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. no. I, was, I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, as much as those were bad play calls, I remember at the time defending that – not defending, but this is a rookie coach trying to test out how far his playbook can be stretched in certain situations. Like – I, as 
bad of a play call that was and that does fall on Flores because that's his team. I, I'm intrigued by the fact that he's willing to take those type of risks and make these type of decisions where if it backfires, it backfires. But, yeah, he absolutely, it would have been better if your team could have bounced back from that situation and show some life. But in the first year, under these circumstances and this situation, I don't necessarily hold that against Flores in the long term of things. That's like I wouldn't – I don't hold the five wins with this roster in the long term of things. It's it's good that it happened, but the jury's still out on everybody. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think I, I kind of want to – I feel like I'm on sync with Tone right now, but same with like the play call being upset about it. If that play is a half a second faster – then it's a sack. They're not even in field goal range, and that's you know carries on the momentum. But with that being said, that goes to show how easy it is for momentum to swing in the NFL. Very rarely do you see it see games where one team doesn't can't maintain momentum for a little bit of time. And I think that goes to show like the best games of the season. And I know I said it a lot of like Midwestern fans previously, but I always felt that the 49ers games were always phenomenal and always seen because one team never really got momentum. There was a lot of a lot of times where the teams would go back and forth and the games were always exciting in that situation. So one one play call doesn't always determine a game. And I mentioned that earlier. We were two plays away from being seven and nine, but we were also two plays away from being three and nine. Three and eleven. Three and twelve or whatever. Sorry. Oh my God. Three and thirteen. Whatever the math may be. Yeah. yeah I'm... <laughs> Fair enough. Here is on the podcast. <laughs> Got two guests. Yeah. It's all good, though. Um, yeah. Get, uh, get, you're right. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's not, it's more, like I said, more kind of how they responded, that it was kind of more, more of a red flag for me, but it is what it is. And then before I move on to the next games, uh, let's just like to say, uh, I don't believe that Mason Rudolph didn't say the N word to Miles or Miles Garrett. Yeah, but you there's, there's believe, no way. You don't believe he said it? No, I I believe he said it. Like, yeah, I kind of am in agreement with you, and I think it's the fact that you don't see Mason Rudolph if he's not if he doesn't start another game in this league, which I wouldn't be surprised then he definitely said it. I think it's damage control. Yep. Because, I mean, you don't want – I mean, the NFL doesn't want a big price starting quarterback saying that and, like, having everyone know about it. That's going to hurt their brand tremendously, especially that's in this culture. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But, like, you see – you see, like, if you look at it again, right, like – um. Garrett kind of like sacks, like, well, he gets the ball off, but he's like a little bit late. Rudolph like starts kind of like pushing him and like Garrett ends up like um, getting his helmet off and like starts walking away. Then you see him like run up and say something. And that's when Garrett like turns around and starts swinging the helmet. Like, yeah. like it's all like, it all like breaks down like that. And then like, I mean, if you look at my Mason Rudolph, like, he looks like the kind of guy that'd say that too, <laughs> like the the rich white boy from South Carolina. 
with the tiki torches. I, I saw one. I saw one argument that was like he called. Uh, I don't even know. I want to call him a Google but that's not right. But there was like a defensive lineman that pushed him down, and Rudolph like explicitly said very clearly like you're a bitch or you a bitch or something and someone's like oh he would have never said that because he didn't call him a he didn't call him that he called him a bitch instead like i don't know about that you know that's just a different situation yeah i mean he could have done that too but i I don't know i feel like there's more of a flip when you get the n-word versus a bitch you know especially when you look at kubanson rudolph yeah he just, he just looks like, yeah. I think I actually I actually photoshopped his head on a couple of the Tiki Torch pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I put them on Twitter. <laughs> I think I still have them somewhere. But oh, those Tiki Torches photoshopped are the best. The best one was <laughs> the best one was the guy who put a bunch of dodos over the Tiki Torches. <laughs> that was the best Photoshop I've ever seen. I haven't seen that one. That's awesome though. Uh. Next time I'll find it. I'm going to send it your way. Okay, perfect. I'd love to see it. That's, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Some giant six-foot dildos everybody's holding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fits, though, don't you think? <sighs> we live uh, in the best of times and the stupidest of times. I agree. Definitely agree. But, uh, so... We'll get back to the season here. Um, next one was our first win of the season, where we beat the Jets 26-18, looks like. And my handwriting gets bad sometimes. Um, and That was our first win of the season, like I said. Oh, well, thanks. I don't think that's true, but... <laughs> <laughs> Take the compliment. I appreciate it. Love you, Tone. Uh, <laughs> we beat Gase, which was... Just so, so sweet, wasn't it? Mwah. Just love beating Delicious. Gase. And then we uh, fast forward to the Dolphins-Colts the next week. At our second win, we were playing against Brian Hoyer. And uh, that one was pretty cool. Um, and then we went, and then the next game was another kind of red flag for me. Uh, we played the Bills again at home this time, and they destroyed us 37-20. But w- the part, the, the thing that like bothered me about that one is like you could see like right away at the beginning of the game that it just seemed like the Dolphins were not they we did not come to play. Like it, you could just tell like there was an there was like no energy, and that's what bothered me is like if they're a division rival. You're at home, and you just eh. Come out of, yeah. Like that's like that's something that your coach has got to get you all fired up for. And then the next week was the Browns, and got to see our old friend Landry again. LGG. Yeah, for life, and I miss that guy again. And they trounced us forty-one twenty-four. But then we went and played the Eagles. And somehow we squeezed that out. But that we, we was won. a fun game. It was. It was fantastic. We won. That might 30, have been our best 7, win of 31. the season. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. 
like we just punked. Actually, no, our best week win of the season came at the end of the year against the Patriots. Patriots, touche, touche. Yeah, uh, it felt better, but it, it, no, no. You know what? You're right. That that was a way better win, even as they played throughout the game. Yes, I'm with you. But I will say this: this win was an upside for Flores. Like this isn't going to be me just trashing mm-hmm. him. Um, like this one, like like the Eagles are they're a pretty sharp team, and we punked them. We wore our throwbacks, which is part of the magic. And Devon, this is the game where I remember Devontae Parker just taking over. Like he was, he was like hit or miss at the very beginning of the season. He started building momentum in this game. He was just trouncing the Eagles. And, and that's the whole, yeah, that and fit him and Fitz magic. They just clicked that game and I, it was glorious. And then the next week we played the jets. And again, Taylor said that pass interference that gave him the game. You know, you don't, you know, you kind of got to say, like, it happens in all in all games that the refs make some bad calls. You can't really make a big deal about it unless you're playing the Patriots because that's when it's clearly rigged, <laughs> as usual. Uh, but we lost 21-22. And then the next week, I'm, I'm not also, I'm also not blaming Flores for this because there's a little bit of, there's a certain magic when, you have like a franchise player going for their last game. And that's what happened here. We played the Giants in New York. It was Eli's last game. And so he brought the magic. Mm-hmm. And I can't blame the Dolphins for that. I can't blame Flores for that. They beat us 36-20. to 20. So, yeah, like I said, I, there's just no – there's no – Some some games are just for the history books, like that, for the stories. It's – there's nothing. There's nothing the Dolphins could have done probably to win that game. That was just the way it was meant to happen to finish off that guy's career. I 100% agree. Just there's I, no better ending for Eli. If it was Daniel Jones, we would have dominated that game. Fuck him. Oh yeah, we definitely wouldn't have cared at all. And then the next week was Week 16. Uh, we played the Bengals and we beat them in overtime. And we were. If I remember correctly, I didn't look at this one in depth. I think we were up for a while, and then the Bengals came back and then tied it up, and we won in overtime. But I wasn't very confident in Flores there um, because of like losing a lead to the Bengals. But at the same time, they were both bad teams. Shit happens. I'm glad we at least came away with the win. It would have been a different different thing if we had lost. And then week 17, my favorite game of the year, the Brady Killer game. We went into New England. We beat them 27-24 with a Fitzpatrick pass to Gesicki. And it was glorious. Do you think, was that the play of the season? Um, I don't know. I think so. And was there any was a, play, any other single play that you remember from the season more than that one? Um, I'd say about equally was a fourth down touchdown to Devontae Parker against the Eagles, but like that's about it's about neck and neck with that. 
Um, and it's just, and I, I like this one a, a bit better though, because uh, there's a, what was that? Um, because there was a uh, there's a clip floating around Twitter somewhere with uh, Kevin Harlan calling the Chiefs game and then also calling the Dolphins game at the same time. I love but you don't show the Dolphins game. Yeah, it's like a laser Fitzpatrick to Parker <laughs> for first down. That was awesome. Right, and then like. The field goal kicker, the extra point, I don't remember what it was, but the Chiefs are cheering, but the Dolphins just won the game. So the kicker's sitting like, thanks, thanks, guys? Yeah. They weren't cheering for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't realize it yet, and you see, like, the whole crowd just goes fucking nuts. It was fantastic. And then, like, he's like, he's like, which game are you calling? I'm calling both games. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. We I'll, are, uh, we're part Dolphins, we're part time Super I'm Bowl champs this. then, right? Yes. <laughs> if the Dolphins don't beat the Patriots, we the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl. I believe that. I believe it too. Fuck it. It's part of the destiny thing. Yep. Like, because then the Patriots don't play at the Titans first round. I mean, not that it mattered for the Ravens, who got run over by them too, but. It was sweet that Tannehill also beat him in New England. Like it's all, it's all beautiful story tied together. Yep, for Brady's last season, maybe in New England. Before he joins Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill goes to New England. Oh, I hope he doesn't go to New England. I'd be so sad. I'd be devastated. <laughs> but if you're him, if you had the opportunity, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, yeah, but still, like. I want. I either want Tennessee to keep him, or I want him to go, like to Chicago, because I think him in Chicago would be that defense with that. Yeah, and they don't have an awful O line, but like that, well, better than anything the Dolphins gave them. You know, they've got talent. So Tannehill on the the Bears would be phenomenal. I think. Very interesting. I like that. I like that. Good thinking. And then, you know, the Bears have come out and said, Mitch Trubisky's our guy. And then come out and said, we're really bring, we're ready to bring in competition. <laughs> yeah. So, Tannehill would be good there. I would, I would also like to see him either in uh, for the Chargers or for the Panthers even. Like, Not the I don't Panthers. Know if... the, the, the Panthers seem to be going our route, the – complete rebuild route. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be good for him. But I don't think Cam Newton, like, I don't know if he's going to be healthy enough. That's kind of why I brought it up. But I'd like to see him flourish somewhere else, too. I think he'd be good with a fresh start. I I was having this conversation with, uh, with Predator the other day. Mm-hmm. Cam Newton, if Anybody tailored an offense around his skill set like other offenses are doing with Lamar Jackson's and Patrick Mahomes and really building around his skill sets, I think you're talking about a true contending team. Like, he's capable. We've already seen him. He led a team to a Super Bowl. But just imagine mm. if he was – if there was an offensive guru out there that wanted to tailor an offense specifically 
around Cam Newton. That team is dangerous. I don't know if there's a team out there. I hope there is. I think I think Cam Newton is a very good talent. I think so too. Here's an idea, like, and this would be silly, but I think an offensive guru that could tailor him to it, where there's two that I'm thinking, like you could either he could either be like immensely successful with Doug Peterson in Philly, like I mean they'd get rid of Carson Wentz, but I mean, like. I mean, he's good, but, like, he's kind of – he could use a fresh start maybe, too. Like, his – like, the team's success always came from, like, when Nick Foles had to step in for whatever reason. Besides, there's, like, one season that everyone thought he was going to be MVP. But the other one would be uh, if the Saints – like, Drew Brees is coming back, but I don't know if he's coming back for the Saints. But if Oh, really? Shot, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, like – he might be. I might have read the thing wrong, but can you imagine Cam Newton in New Orleans with Sean Payton and gang? That's it. Yeah, but like that might be a next man. season thing, but true. Like it's hard to give up a Hall of Fame quarterback for that. So, um, but I think like maybe a year from now, if Breeze retires, that'd be a good spot for Cam. So, um, and then after, so all in all in the season, there were some bright spots, there were some low spots. Uh, what I really did enjoy a lot was um, Parker and Gasicki's improvement. There was like patches of players that improved. And then one of the things that I'm kind of skeptical about is that there was a max, uh, like a mass exodus of coaches that left the Dolphins this year. And now, and a good amount of them were like considered to be good coaches coming in, and everyone was hyped on them. And now we're getting another set of good coaches from what everyone's hyped on. It's like, like, but why? Like, I know, like, O'Shea didn't really maybe like call the offense as well as um, Brian Flores might have liked. Now we got Chan Gailey, cool. But like, there's like a lot of other positional coaches that just kind of like left so and like a lot of people were talking about how good of a staff this was beforehand so i mean they said it was mostly new england and we kind of like were joking about being the patriots but that kind of is the red card with the coaches and like with the players having left but overall and i gotta give a shout out to um to tj Bracking, I hope I said your last name right, but he's at TJ Bracking um, on Twitter. He asked me if I could, what state would Brian Flores be when I did my states thing? And I'm going to say Idaho, which is the same state I gave Jakeem Grant. Like I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Brian Flores. I'm excited to see what he does next season, but I'm not 100% all in on him like I've been with other coaching staffs. I understand your skepticism. Say you there? Yeah. Oh, I wonder. Sorry. I wonder what your perspective is on this because when me and Haggy talked about the the Flores thing. So what's what's your take on on his on your confidence on what he's going to be? Uh, it looks like Taylor hopped off the call. Gosh darn it! <laughs> I know he had to drop off his kids, so. 
Why Why? would he say he's there? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I guess to to reiterate what... what, Oh, why reiterate it? We don't have Tay here. Yeah. So, okay, well, instead of reiterating then, like, what what state would you uh, say Brian Flores is? Brian Flores. See, I'm... I have such a different... There's a culture shock between us. True. I, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from such a flashy-ish, much more fast-paced town and area. Since he seems like a hard worker. What? Uh, he's a hard worker. He's fierce. He's to be respected. He seems to know his history. I want to go with Pennsylvania. Okay. Small... Small, respected because it comes from the original colonies. Yeah, but, yeah. but has still has a lot to prove when it comes to being compared to the New Yorks and and other big states. Fair enough. Though the office is set in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So, are you going to give him high enough praise to be office worthy, or? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not. He's not there yet. Now, okay. Look, I've, I've, you, you know me. I am an office stand. I, I would live and die by that show. And I don't know if I'm ready to live and die by Flores yet. I'm willing to give it a chance for the couple seasons, but I'm not willing to give it to beginning to end yet. Fair enough. Looks like Taylor hopped back on. So you can. Oh my god. That was intense. It was. Sorry, I'm not very good at contributing today. It's all good. Uh, is your mic really close to your face? Am I really loud? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just talking on my phone like normal. Oh, okay. You're a little bit better now. You you must have tilted it or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> I came in piercing at first. Yeah. But... <laughs> Oops, my bad. So, He's quick from about where I <laughs> from about where I kind of jumped off, I did a. Uh, I said that he. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, like I said last time, and I said if Brian Flores was a state, I'd call him Idaho, which is the same state I gave Jakeem Grant. What are your thoughts, Taylor? What state would you name Brian Flores as? Wyoming. No expectations. Wyoming. I like that. That's a that's a very critical. Like I guess I don't know how you see Wyoming, but damn, Taylor. What? <laughs> no expectations, man. I mean, I like that we're kind of in the same geographical region, but oof. And Tone said Pennsylvania, which <clears throat> I can see. A lot of Who'd high get... potential, but also really big disappointment. Okay. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was good. Who did I put in Pennsylvania? I got to figure that out real quick. So I, I just put Gesicki there. Saw, I saw a tweet earlier. I guess it fits for Gesicki too. A lot of potential. Big grounds for disappointment. But I saw a tweet a little bit ago that would you, would you trade number five and number 18 for Dak Prescott? No, 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 no. 
No. Yeah, I can't that's a can't believe that's a circulating like a circulating thing. No, it doesn't. Uh, that that goes against everything they were trying to do. You're you're, yep. you're gonna tie yourself to a quarterback that's gonna cost you what thirty something million dollars minimum, taking up all the cap space before you're able to build a team. That goes against what the whole concept was to build it from the ground up. Hell no. Would okay. you trade? Would you trade one of the three first round picks for Christian McCaffrey? What? I'll trade two of them. Yeah, easy. Number Christian eight. McCaffrey isn't just a running back. I might trade pick five for Christian McCaffrey. I would. I See, like, that's what I don't understand with NFL in general. Like, I think I brought up the hypothetical situation. Um, why would a team that already has – the Dolphins did it. Dolphins did it with Laramie Tunsil. Why would they get rid of Laramie Tunsil just to get a draft pick to potentially replace him. He's already proven that he's a good player. I just don't understand. So, like, the Lions are going through the same situation. They might get rid of Darius Slay just to draft Okuda, or whatever his name is. Like, they're going to be the same player. They, they might have really similar production. I just don't understand why you would give up an asset to replace that asset with a significant asset. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But, but personally, I think you think about it from the – contract aspect you think about it from how long you own that player's rights you think about it from the growing like me and me and haggies were talking about it a little earlier in regards to you build a team with youth and hungry players versus the team that already is proven it's a different chemistry it's a different team building method and sometimes you go in a different direction as an organization where those players don't necessarily fit or you, you rather start building like in the Detroit Lions um, position, they can get one of the best defensive athletes available and especially cornerback prospects available in a long time. You you, you know what Slay is, and he's going to cost you a whole bunch of money, and he could be gone in two years. At least you know you're going to have this kid for four to five years, and if you don't keep him, you don't keep him. But it seems like the Lions are trying to make sure they build – get assets and build that defense in a way that if Stafford doesn't become what he is, they can build both sides at the same time. I'm seeing a little bit of long-term philosophy there. I don't know. And I think that's me being an NBA fan and a basketball fan and team building is much different in that sport that I've been trying to uh, apply that same philosophy in the NFL. And I'm seeing it done more and more. We've had two teams now completely this just blank out their roster and try to rebuild it. And you saw that first in the, in such a blatant way, first in the NFL, I mean, in the NBA with the Sixers. And now you've seen it with the, the Cleveland Browns. You've seen it with the Dolphins and they do it blatantly. They're not trying to mask it anymore. Like they would back in the days. So I'm, I'm, I, I understand it to, to a point. I get what you're saying. Like, why you, why are you trading tons away? He's a, for sure going to be a franchise left tackle. Or he could be Jake Long, where we thought he was a franchise left tackle and he fell off, this, fell off the end of the world because the world's flat. And he just fell off of it for some reason. <laughs> I know it was a lot to do with injuries, but, yeah, another thing. Uh, the older you get, the more likely you are to get injured, in my opinion. So sometimes going younger isn't just I'm hoping he becomes what that player was. It's, it's also beneficial in the short term as well. Yep. 
I'll take that. Oh, but to answer your Dak Prescott question, because I didn't do that yet, uh, because of the expectation of a $30 million contract, I wouldn't offer a first-round pick. I'd offer one or both of our second-round picks. But you would do that. What was that? You would do that? You would give up two first-round draft picks for Dak no, Prescott? No, no, or two second. Picks? Yeah, Dak Prescott's not a bad quarterback. Like, Okay, I, okay. Um, I might be going off on a big tangent here, but I had a brief discussion with Weck about how you value uh, undrafted free agents versus late round draft. And I have made the comment that I feel like fifth, sixth, seventh round draft picks and undrafted free agents are the same thing. Because when you get down to after the fourth round, the talent difference really isn't significant. It comes down to like the intangibles of uh, the ability to read a defense or the ability to make a play or read a play. And I don't think it's so much the uh, the talent level. It's about like your personality and things like that. And I brought up the conversation that Preston Williams coming out of college was slated to say he has first round talent, but he was an undrafted free agent because of off the field concerns. What do you guys feel about that? Like I just be honest and it's, it's okay to be wrong from on my standpoint, but I genuinely believe like if it's a late, if you're drafted on day three, your ability to make the roster is no more or any more significant than an undrafted player. Hmm. So I think, I think it all ends up just, yeah, I, I'm in the boat with you a little bit, probably closer to like fifth through seventh more than fourth. But because I think you still get a lot of good players out of the fourth round, like that are consistent. But like I see your point, and I think it all, it all, like you can't, you can only count it as a hit depending on their production and not necessarily like a set number. It just kind of varies, like on how, on how much he impacts the team. Is how you can grade if it's a hit or not. How would you, what do you consider as a hit? And either free agency signings or um, draft picks or whatever. What do you consider a hit on a player? It all kind of boils down to position. Like if you, all right, say you get a defensive tackle in the fifth round like Devon Gotcha, right? Devon Gotcha is consistently like getting pressure. He's consistently like getting like, He's making an impact in the running game. He might not have the sexiest stats, but there's definitely like a clear visible contribution there. So I guess actually clear visible contribution is more of my if it if it's a hit. Whether like you might you might not even like if you're a wide receiver like Preston Williams, even if you're not like catching the ball for tons of yards and like getting touchdowns, if you're if you see that the defense is having to adjust to you like whether they fear your speed or not it all like everything kind of works together and meshes together so him getting that extra little bit of space um from the corner can kind of open up more of the underneath routes by other receivers and people coming out the backfield you know what i mean yeah that's fair 
So if you can see a clear visible impact when you watch the game or you watch film, then I count it as a hit. Whether that's okay. offense, defense, or special teams. I think from a from a philosophical standpoint, I agree with Tay a lot because it really does. When you're looking at the talent separation between, I wouldn't go as high as a fourth round pick like Haggy said, the sixth, seventh. Maybe I'll push it to the fifth because you see a lot of teams take chances on players in the fifth round. It really comes down to those intangibles and those variables that you can't really measure on a football field if you're going to be successful or not. It's fit, scheme, situation, opportunity, the difference between a six-round pick and a U and an undrafted free agent, a, UDA, a UDFA, isn't much, personally, in my opinion. And I know um, as a football podcast, but I like to use the philosophy that the Miami Heat have instilled in me from the NBA and how they view the draft, that they feel that every – yes, the NBA is a much different sport, much less players. The impact is different. But when it comes to how the Heat view the draft, they look that there's only about 15 players that are world changers, that that are worth drafting, that, that come in ready to go, that don't require much – developing so out of two rounds and there's 30 teams that's 60 players being drafted every year they only view 15 of them as actually worth being drafted so they don't mind selling off their late round picks because they feel the undrafted pool is just as talented and it's up to development and circumstances and situation to get the most out of those players so I, I truly believe in in what you're saying but Again, I think having a lot of sixth and seventh round picks, you get the first pickings of those type of players. And I think that's valuable in a sense. I like that. All right. So, so from there, um, like we talked about the draft, we were kind of talking about free agency a little bit earlier. Um, did we, we already kind of went over yeah, we already went over. I totally spaced that. That we okay. So I was gonna say we we were talking earlier about how like it's kind of oh did we talk about that tone in like in the middle of this podcast like how like how if Flores will be able to handle the big name players. Well, we talked about that early on. I don't know if we really. Oh, okay. I guess we've been glossing over it this entire time. But it is a topic I think we should we should tackle head on. I want I want to know Tay's position on that. Cool. So just to reiterate for Tay, who was not here during that little segment, uh, we were saying like, because you you did act, I do remember you saying something. It's easier to like take a young and hungry team and get them to buy into your culture than the high price free agents who have already made it. So one of the things that I had mentioned, not in already recorded, was that. Uh, like if you get a player like big in free agency like Chris Harris, like you're not gonna it's gonna be a little bit different for them, like to make them run to the TNT wall versus like a player like Nick Needham. And like we kind of like saw that a little bit, I feel like, with in the beginning of the season, because there's like a lot of vets that seem to be kind of very disgruntled about 
having to do that, like the Kenny Stills's and the Tunsils and the Minka Fitzpatrick's. So, um, so is there any like? It's it's just a big philosophical thing, I guess, on whether or not like he'll be able to handle it, or if that's even the right approach. Do you think he'll kind of stick with that this next season? Do you think we'll hear about the TNT wall again? I was mocking the TNT wall when it first came out, but hey, they won five games. I think that's just that, that that's just a rookie coach, kind of like going in regards to what we we're talking about in those bad play calls. That's just a rookie coach trying to stretch out and see what he can do on the football field. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Just kind of waiting on Taylor to get his opinion on that. I don't know if he even heard it. But uh, I didn't hear it, but you can remind me I didn't address charity of the week. My man, Tone, he just wants to flourish with Tone. So if you guys can think of your own charity, this is a charity week week where you just pick your own charity and run with it. I like it. Tone is a person of the people, and I want everyone to do what's best for them. Yeah, so if that's uh, that's St. Jude's, if that's the Cancer Society, if that's the Diabetes Association, whatever sort of thing that – uh, gives your heart fancy. Go for it. So that's fun. I don't think we've done that anything like that before in our twenty six so episodes. <laughs> Flourishing with tone. I got, yeah, I gotta get going though. Oh, okay. So I'll uh, I'll uh, get Taylor's opinion on that, and then. You can listen to it when the episode comes out. All right, brothers. Yo, this is fun as fuck. I enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for coming Love on. You guys, of course. Midwestern Fins for life. Yeah. <laughs> Love you too, Tone. <laughs> Take yeah. it easy. Have a good night. All right. So what Tone was asking was, um, or like what we were asking, we were talking about was like, so if you get like a big name player like Chris Harris to come in right during free agency, like how do you think that it's going to react with the culture? Like if he's going to accept Brian Flores's like cultural like standards versus like a Nick Needham who's kind of fighting for a job, like when it comes to stuff like the TNT wall and stuff like that, and if Flores is going to be able to manage personalities, like what do you think on that? I think that we don't really know what Flores is capable of man- managing. Um, as far as his time in New England, I'd say they had some pretty big players. Stephon Gilmore was a defensive player this year, but he's been really good. And he came from the Bills, if I'm not mistaken, to Flores' system in New England. And he was able to you know, harness him in. And then you know, they got a other big name defensive players. I think Chandler Jones is the only one that I remember like really significantly leaving that particular organization. But I think that with where we would be um, 
in the future if a big-name player did come. I think that would really show me who Brian Flores is. And I would be, like you say, cautiously optimistic on, on the ability to actually bring them in to do what they're supposed to Gotcha. I think I got most of that. Um, the Midwestern Internet acted up a little bit. Uh, for those of you that can't understand the Midwestern Act, uh, Internet gurgles, basically saying that uh, that he had a lot of success like managing personalities in New England um, with this def- defensive system. So he's optimistic that um, they'll be able to he'll be able to handle them here. Does that sound right? All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was excellent. Thanks. <laughs> it just took a second. <laughs> so, uh, Midwestern Internet again. Um, all right. Well, I think this is a good good place to wrap up. How do you feel about it? I feel okay. I'm really sorry, everybody that's listening to this. Uh, I feel like I wasted my time with Tone. And I didn't live by my philosophy of flourishing with tone, so I'm sorry for that. But it's always nice to get on here with you, Haggy, and it's always nice to be able to talk about the Miami Dolphins, and it's always nice to be able to talk about the Midwest and our charities and things like that. And I think that we've got a lot of really cool things coming up for us in our lives and the Miami Dolphins and Midwestern Fins. So just be on the lookout for that. Be ready to see us improve and grow and flourish. So I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All of it. Excellent. Well, I think I think with the with the circumstances, everything was cool, and uh, yeah. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Flourish, everybody. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Yep.